Faith Bible Church, it is so good to be with you this morning. I am delighted to be able to preach God's Word, but before I do that, I did want to take a moment to say thank you. These last three and a half years, I have been blessed to be able to be a member, a part of this body, to be encouraged by many of you, to have been welcomed into your homes. Some of you treat me like you treat your own son. I am deeply, deeply grateful. I'm so excited for what the Lord is doing, seeing him plant churches and seeing the gospel go forward. May that happen even now. Let me pray and we'll get started. Father, what a joy to be with your people this morning, to be reminded that your word is living life. Grant us that we might see you more clearly even now, we pray in Christ's worthy name. Amen. About 80 years ago, C.S. Lewis produced a series of publications called The Screwtape Letters, in which he imagines that there is a veteran demon training a younger demon. In that context, the older demon named Screwtape states that the horror of the same old thing is very effective at derailing humans. According to Screwtape, it is one of the most valuable passions we have produced in the human heart. Now, in 2001, a band by the name of Daft Punk released a song called Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger. It's a chaotic song, it's repetitive, highly so, but I think it captures something of the, the essence of the life, the culture that we live in today. It's a strange sensory age in which we live, full of overload. We are constantly pressured by all sorts of influences to live as if we are, in the words of a recent film, everywhere, experiencing everything all at once. We are pressured to live our lives more productively, to live harder, better, faster, and stronger, to strive, to achieve, to build, to excel, and above all, to overcome by sheer force of will. Lewis acknowledges what Daft Punk exudes, that humans are junkies for newness. We despise the same old thing, the static, the repetitive, and our insatiable hearts can lead us to seek after stimulation and activity the possibility of making our own way, blazing our own trail, and above all, overcoming no matter the odds. Sounds impressive. Actually, it's empty. People are searching for their identity in all the wrong places. Everyone sounds so confident. But if they're honest, they are so busy doing that they don't know 
who they are. Let's see this morning what the Bible has to say about those who overcome the world. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. If you're using one of the blue Bibles in the seat in front of you, that's page 1023. We'll be spending time this morning in verses 1 through 5. As you're turning there, let me set the scene for you. 1 John is a letter that reads much like a sermon. It was written by John, the son of Zebedee. This is the same one that Jesus called to follow him, to lay down his nets with his brother James. He is the one who wrote the gospel according to John and the book of Revelation. In terms of timeline now, we're approximately 55 years after the death of the Lord Jesus. John, at this point, is old and he is wise. Now, as the last surviving apostle, he is speaking to a generation in the midst of false religion, religious mysticism that's infiltrating the church. And he is desiring that they experience confidence and joy. To do that, in this letter, John repetitively takes us back to the fundamentals of the faith. He talks about doctrine and morals, and doctrine and morals, and then doctrine and morals again. So by the time we find ourselves now, in 1 John 5, he's already brought up the topics that he's going to be discussing here. And these overarching themes are belief and love and obedience. With that, let's read, listen as I read 1 John 5, 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? John wanted the believers to have full joy, knowing that their identity as those who have overcome the world was secure. So, likewise, we make it our aim this morning to have full joy as we consider the essential traits of those who overcome the world. That begs the question, what characterizes those who overcome the world? Who are these overcomers? This passage will show us three essential qualities of those who overcome the world. They believe the truth. They love God and others and they obey his commandments. The subject of this text is, is a little bit like a diamond, like a really big one. And as we proceed through it, we're going to be turning that diamond to see different angles of what these overcomers look like, these Christians look like. 
May the Lord Jesus and his finished work become even more beautiful to each of you. And may he fill our hearts with joy as we think about what he has done in us. So those three characteristics, as I said, they're not going to be developed linearly in the text. But I hope you do see that each of these is an essential trait of those who overcome the world. We're going to keep rotating that diamond and see more and more beauty. If you're taking notes, it might be helpful for you to do three columns as opposed to rows because we're going to come back to some of that information and you'll be able to add more there. With that, we need to define two terms very briefly before we can dive in at the beginning of our text. When we're saying that we are overcoming the world, we need to think about what is the world. We're not talking about the earth, the globe, the planet earth. Nor are we talking about what John would have been writing about in John 3.16, about God so loving the world, meaning all its inhabitants. Here, John is referring to Satan's worldwide system of deception and wickedness. To overcome that world is to conquer, to have the victory, to have a genuine superiority that leads to conquering power over the forces of evil. Knowing now what John means when he uses the phrase overcomes the world, let's look at this diamond. First, considering the essential quality of those who overcome, that they believe the truth. Let's hone in on the first phrases in our text. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Pause. Look down at verse 4 and follow with me. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Clearly, an overcomer is someone who has been born of God. And to be born of God you need to hold to, you need to believe, not some vague religious commitment, but something very specific, something that would be carefully considered, that would have to be true. That fact is that Jesus is the Christ. Overcomers specifically believe the truth that Jesus is the Christ. What does this mean? What is the substance of this truth that must be understood? In order to grasp that, we need to know what Christ means. Some of us might be led to think that Christ would be the last name of Jesus, Jesus Christ. It's not. Christ is a title. Coming from the Greek Christos, it's equivalent to, in the scriptures, other words that are used, Messiah, and the anointed one. Allow me to paint the picture of who Christ was expected to be and how Jesus didn't simply fulfill people's expectations, but he fulfilled scripture, providing not what the first century Jews wanted in a Messiah, but what all of humanity needed. The Messiah was to be the light shining for people walking in darkness. 
And Jesus came as the true light for the world, granting peace through relationship with God to all who believed in his name. The Christ was to be born as a child and given as a son, and Jesus, as God incarnate, left the throne of the universe to enter the womb of Mary. For this anointed one, there was to be unceasing peace and an unending increase of the government that was to rest upon his shoulders. And friends, King Jesus rules over all that has been made, holding everything in his hands, including our future judgment. The Messiah, God would call his son, begotten of him. And Jesus called God the Father, and the Father spoke through the clouds and said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. The anointed one was to be the better David who would lead God's people in justice and righteousness. Jesus was the true and better Adam come to save people from the curse of sin. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the first and the last. He is the suffering servant. He is the spotless lamb that was slain for sin. And he rose victorious, conquered sin, conquered death, conquered the grave. This is Jesus, the Christ. And you owe him your life. Among all the other sins that may be present in your life, If you reject him as Lord and Master, that alone is sufficient grounds for you to be condemned. Friends, he says, draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which you can be saved. Won't you trust in Jesus, the Christ? Look back at the text with me. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. John here uses the birth language He's used that before in John chapter 3, when Jesus was meeting with Nicodemus in the middle of the night. He explained to this spiritual leader who didn't understand spiritual things how this birth is spiritual and it accomplishes for, for anyone who would believe inclusion into the kingdom of God. Now, here in 1 John, He's using this familial metaphor over and over to emphasize who is in the family and who is not. Now, in light of the religious mysticism that was infiltrating the church at this time, John wanted the believers to understand their identity. John wanted them to believe the truth. And by implication, this means that they needed to be very clear 
about who was part of the church family and who was not so that they could avoid the false teachers and become and remain an active part of the family. So as we seek to believe the truth, it's only appropriate that we should also be careful when we hear somebody who is claiming the name of Christ. As you're well aware, following Jesus, beginning to follow Jesus is not, is not a spectrum. Either you're following him or you're not. There's, there's no gray. When someone is pursuing Jesus, that is who they are. It becomes part of their identity. You can't just be a good person or be mostly a Christian or sometimes a Christian. It's who you are. Now, for their own soul's sake, for their highest good, for their eternal joy, we would do well to err on the side of clarity with regards to essential doctrines like the deity of Christ. That said, Faith Bible, we would do well to err on the side of charity with regards to doctrines upon which we can disagree and still maintain fellowship. God, help us and use this body to build itself up in love, I pray. The angle that we've been looking at at this diamond, we've begun to see the first essential characteristic of overcomers, that they believe the truth. But, friends, belief is not enough. James, do do y'all remember James 2.19? You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Listen to Jonathan Edwards on this. This is so good. The devil once seemed to be religious in Luke 8. When the devil saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, thou Jesus, son of the most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. Here is external worship. The devil is religious. He prays. He prays in a humble posture. He falls down before Christ. He lies prostrate. He prays earnestly. He prays with a loud voice. He uses humble expressions. I beseech thee. He uses humble, adoring expressions. Jesus, Son of God, Most High. Nothing was wanting or lacking. Nothing was lacking but love. Seeing that the demons also believe the right things, we do well to note that belief is an essential characteristic of an overcomer, but it is not the only one. May God grant us greater faith, but let's turn the diamond now and look at the next essential quality of the overcomer. Overcomers love God and others. Look at verse 1b. And everyone who loves the Father 
loves whoever has been born of him. Looking at the phrase, everyone who loves the Father, even by itself is instructive. See, there are many, many wonderful things that we can love about the Father, reasons to love him. He is inherently beautiful. Everything that's beautiful that has ever been made, he made it. We can love his character. Many things we could say there. We can love his actions too. Romans 5, 8 tells us that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or we could consider John three sixteen and 17, for God so loved the world. Remember, the world there is now relating to all the inhabitants of the world, not God loving the satanic oppressive regime seeking to ruin us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. His love for us inspires love for him. Those are great reasons to love God the Father. But what, what does loving God the Father, what does that look like? Look back at the text. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So, loving the Father looks like loving His children. Christians love other Christians. That's what we do. And this is expressed in myriad ways. It's expressed in the affectionate care that we show for one another. That, that is visualized in the laughter and the good conversations, the heart-to-hearts that I see happening before and after service. I'm so thankful for those. It's expressed in the way that we prefer one another, laying down our preferences, even, for example, of music, so that others can enjoy worshiping Jesus together. It's expressed in the high regard in which we hold one another as we seek to show respect in our language towards one another as we avoid gossip and as we seek to provide and encourage others with God-glorifying affirmations. In their book, Compelling Community, Dever and Dunlop have this to say about the love expressed between Christians. To follow Christ is to love other Christians. Love between believers isn't a sign of maturity. It's a sign of saving faith. Allow allow that, friends, to, to maybe prick your conscience a little bit. But if you're a Christian, remember, acknowledge, praise God for the fact that you do love other Christians. And that is one of the evidences that you are, in fact, in Christ. Allow that to encourage you. So we've seen some of the ways that God's being and his actions entice us to him. But what about those Christians? Those people sitting on the other side of the room 
that you don't love getting to spend time with if you can wiggle your way out. If love for God and others is an essential quality of being an overcomer, how do we specifically know that we love the children of God? Look back at verse 2. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. What if we said to a brother, what if we said of a brother in our church, I love that brother, but I hate his kids. They are awful. Wouldn't that be strange? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that feel wrong? What if we went to that brother? Follow, follow the parallel. What if we went to that brother and said those things? I love you, brother. I hate your kids. In fact, I avoid them whenever possible. I also gossip about them. And if I'm being honest, I wish that they would move away. But I love you, brother. Most of us wouldn't say that to God. We wouldn't. But let's ask ourselves, do I treat my brothers and sisters do I treat my brothers and sisters in a way that shows my love for God? Now, the faith that the overcomers share in Christ empowers us, fuels our love that allows us to cross over any and every boundary. Looking out over Faith Bible Church, that, that is expressed in a lot of ways too. I see European families loving American families. I see a Latina grandmother who loves a white teenager from the South. I see a married man appropriately demonstrating love to young single women. I see an old conservative man who loves a young Democrat. The members of Marco Island love the members of Immokalee. The members who are unemployed love the members who are financially well-off right now. Pick any other boundary, and believers are fundamentally equipped in our new nature, with everything we need to be able to cross that boundary and to love one another because of what Christ has done. O oh, Spirit of God, convict us in our sins against one another and help us to love other children of God and see them more and more as you see them. Having seen that overcomers believe the truth and that they love God and others, 
Let's turn the diamond one more time and consider now the last angle, but not the last quality of the overcomer, that overcomers obey God's commandments. Overcomers obey God's commandments. Picking up in verse 2, follow along. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. And this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Obviously, God is very much interested in insistent upon our obedience. But that obedience doesn't deliver the overcomer. It defines them. Obedience does not save you. You're saved by faith alone in Christ. But obedience does. Obedience does evidence the work that God has done in the life of the believer. I started learning the instrument, the guitar, when I was in middle school. Learning the guitar, learning any instrument involves a lot of practice, a lot of effort, and a lot of practice. It also, learning the guitar, involves unnatural pain. It hurts the fingers, also hurts the ears. But as you persevere, as you practice, you get better. Your transitions become faster, you can move between chords, the quality of the sound goes up. Let me use this as a contrasting illustration. As you get better at an instrument, they say it becomes second nature. Not so with obeying Jesus. We don't start obeying Jesus little by little until we become a Christian and we get better at it. We don't obey and become enough. Rather, It's as if, going back to the music analogy, it's as if we are all of a sudden in an instant reborn and we have innate musical ability and the drive and the desire to get better. It's not second nature, it's new first nature. This is what the overcomer has. It's who they are. This is who we are because we love Jesus. But the question remains, what are the commandments that we should be obeying? Is it the 613 laws from the Old Testament? That that does sound burdensome. Let's let John define his own terms here as well. Two chapters earlier in 1 John 3.23, we read this. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. 
So the commandment that John has just recently told him two chapters ago, earlier, if you will, in his letter, this command is that the overcomer primarily is to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. Mm-hmm. Same diamond, different angles. These are the essential traits of the overcomer. And our obedience to God is the visible mark of our love for God. And yet, friends, we can't just muster up obedience, even the obedience of believing and loving. We can't just believe that there is one we should honor and adore. We have to see him as he is. He is the fount of every blessing. He is the one we ask to tune our heart like an instrument. Tune it such that we can sing his praise. And he is the one who prepares us to do that and enables us every step of the way. Calvin put it beautifully, writing this. It will not suffice simply to hold that there is one whom all ought to honor and adore, unless we are also persuaded that he is the fountain of every good, and that we must seek nothing elsewhere than in him. For until men recognize that they owe everything to God, that they are nourished by his fatherly care, that he is the author of their every good, that they should seek nothing beyond him, they will never yield him willing service. Nay, nay, I don't use that word. Nay, unless they establish their complete happiness in him, they will never give themselves truly and sincerely to him. Until we establish our complete happiness in him, in Christ, we will not be willing to serve him and obey him. And only then will we see our obedience not as duty, but as delight. We will receive his offer at that point to cast down our heavy burdens and to take up Jesus's, which he offers to us and promises that it is light. Let's turn the diamond back to where we started, but we're going to tilt it so we can see yet one more angle and see more beauty. Keep in mind that overcomers believe the truth. Let's read verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God.
And so, the source of our victory is our faith. The substance of our faith is Jesus, the Son of God. Genuine Christians are not overcome by the world's hostility, by Satan's attempts to ruin and destroy and deceive, nor are we pushed away from Christ. Rather, friends, we have in Christ what we need to continually conquer, to overcome. Every time we are tempted, will we falter? Yes. But by faith, we are able in any situation to experience victory over the world. That victory comes through Christ and His finished work. For you who are believers, for you who are overcomers, fix your eyes on Christ. Remember what He said. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. For I have overcome the world. As I have been going about the last few days, whenever I have been in a situation that has been frustrating or stressful, I have been thinking about, in all of those situations, who I am. The characteristics of an overcomer come to mind in this everywhere, all at once culture that seems to attack us constantly with temptations and distractions and distortions. What I've been doing, I have been taking in a deep breath and I have been exhaling. The three points in this sermon are believe the truth, love God and others, and obey his commandments. If you spell that out, it's B-L-O. I have been inhaling and blowing out, if you will. In those moments of frustration, in those moments of like, why is this happening? I get to remind myself that as someone who is an overcomer, because of what Christ did and my faith in him, the victory that comes through my faith. Because I am an overcomer, I believe the truth. Specifically the truth about who Jesus is. Because I am an overcomer, I love God and other people. And so I ask myself in that moment, how do I need to love God and other people right now? And I obey his commandments. And in those moments of inhaling and, and blowing out, I, I ask myself, aside from the commandments of loving God and loving other people, which John indicates two chapters earlier, what other commandments might I have the opportunity to consider and obey in this moment? I've been breathing in and blowing out. 
Friends, as you face temptations and doubts and distractions, let me encourage you to remind yourselves of your identity in Christ as an overcomer, specifically as one who has believed the truth, the truth about who Jesus is. Let me encourage you to remind yourself of your love for God and the love that you have as a believer for others. And let me remind you that that involves obeying his commandments. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the overcomer. He is the ultimate overcomer. He has overcome the world. And his sacrifice makes it possible for us to overcome the world by faith in him. Won't you trust him? Let's pray. Father, my heart is full of joy to be with these dear saints of Faith Bible Church. I am so thankful for their engagement with your word today and in the years that I've been here. Encourage our hearts as we look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, you have overcome the world. And by faith in you, we overcome the world. Thank you, King Jesus. It's in your strong name that we pray. Amen.